Today's scripture reading will be from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. I will be reading from the NIV Bible. So please open your Bible and follow the word of God. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Can you hear? Thank you. Is it better now? Okay. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The parable of the great banquet. Luke verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of God. Thank you, Brother Robert, for reading God's Word for us this morning, and thank you all of you who are here. You've taken the extra time to go online and register. We're grateful that you have come this morning at this hour. And for many of you who are joining us online, uh, wherever you are, in fact, whatever time you are watching this, we also welcome you. We're glad that you are here. 
In our text this morning, we are going to be interrupting Jesus at dinner. And if you're keeping score, you know I'm the pastor who doesn't give an outline in the ministry guide, but if you need an outline, here is the one-sentence outline. The dinner is ready, but many are occupied, so their place will be taken. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we welcome you, acknowledge you are in this place. We didn't bring you here. You inhabit every corner and every space on this planet, in this universe. But in this holy moment, we turn our attention from the many distractions in our world and we turn our hearts to you and your word. So God, straighten us through your word and strengthen us in your word. We also want to remember our brother and pastor Eugene. We thank you for your protection over him and we pray that you would be his healer as he recovers. We bless you for him and for this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Now, in case I made you all distracted by mentioning Eugene, he hurt himself while exercising, which is why I try to avoid it. I want us to uh, be reminded of what it was like to go to a dinner in the first century. In the first century, dinner guests would recline around a U-shaped table. They would generally lean on their left elbow so they can take food with their right. Their feet would be towards the outside of the U-shaped table. The host of the dinner would sit in the middle of the U and all of his guests would be seated or reclining around him generally in order of their relational or cultural significance. Luke doesn't actually tell us where at the table Jesus was reclining, but one thing is clear, that regardless of the seating chart, all attention, all eyes were on Jesus. He was holding the attention of everyone as he was sharing in this moment. And if you are following with us, if you were here last week, as Pastor Eugene took us through the first 14 verses of this chapter, you will recall that he was addressing them on their tendency to apply religious pride to their seating arrangements. You will recall that he sought to dismiss the value of the seating chart of religious pedigree. You will see that he ended his story with this exhortation. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now it was this statement that ended where Pastor Eugene was teaching us last week. It was this statement that prompted a little mini-revival in the heart of one of the guests reclining around the table, and he then responds with these words, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, now we don't know what his motivation was. Maybe he was just trying to blunt the tension in the room, saying, hey, you know, it doesn't matter, the seating chart doesn't matter, we're all, you know, blessed is everyone. Maybe he was just suddenly overwhelmed 
with the wonder that he was sitting at a table of such a significant person in their community, the ruler of the Pharisees, had invited him. Maybe he just had that kind of joy. But we do know the reference point. The reference point is the rabbinic tradition of a kingdom dinner. A dinner in which would be ushered in by the coming of Israel's Messiah, who would gather all God's people, past and present, for a great heavenly feast. And Jesus begins then his message by saying this, dinner is already ready. Dinner is ready. So, so this, this man, whoever he was, shouts out in this little revival moment, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, then, then there's this little word that Luke specifically puts in his text, but, but Jesus said to him, meaning here's a counterpoint. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. In other words, invitations had gone out long ago. Dinner was on the table. It had already been served. It is now ready. Come, where are you? Now, I've felt in my own heart and life the tension of when this happens. Because when we were first in Malaysia, I wasn't that familiar with Chinese wedding dinners. I, I would just say that in Malaysia, Chinese are not quite as punctual as they are in Singapore. So I got the red bomb, which, which said, dinner is at 7 o'clock sharp. So coming from my culture, I was there at 7 o'clock sharp. And the only person that was there was the father of the bride and the servers, and, and me and Sherry. And I felt anxiety. I was like, oh, my goodness, how embarrassing this is. Nobody's showing up for the first boring part. But by the time the prawns came, the tables were all full. This would have been shameful in an Asian culture for a significant person in the community to offer a feast, to send out invitations, and no one even responds to the invitations. They just don't show up. This story is sometimes called by theologians the eschatological banquet. Now, eschatology is the science of last things. So as Nihi shared, if you want to do a deep dive on eschatology, then you'll want to sign up for our eschatological equip this coming Saturday. It's the last equip that deals with the end of humanity as we know it, what does God's Word say? Sign up. That's just a little advert in the middle of this message. The reason the Pharisees were inclined to these sorts of dinners is because they were projecting. They were giving a present picture of that future final kingdom meal, a feast with the founders of their faith. When all Jews, past and present, would be gathered by their coming Messiah to recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to recline with the great prophets, with Isaiah and Micah, with Jeremiah, with Job. This is their heaven. This was 
a picture of that coming feast. And they all looked forward to that day when they would receive the reward for their pedigree. I'm, I'm rather curious. Luke doesn't tell us who Jesus was looking at when last week, remember, Pastor Eugene read for us, Jesus said in verse 8, Do not sit in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited. You, you, you think it was just about showing humility? No, the irony is the ruler of the Pharisees was sitting in the place of honor as master of the house while his own Messiah was in the room. We don't know where Jesus was sitting, but we know he was not sitting where the ruler of the Pharisees was sitting. This is an important picture for us. So, so this is going to be a, a common theme. How do we as God's people portray the character of our God? The Pharisees thought they did by taking his place, by hosting meals, by taking the seat of highest honor and ordering people according to their religious pedigree. And, and so I, I have to ask myself this question. I have to ask us this question. How often do you find yourself sitting in a seat reserved for Christ? This is the heart of original sin. For me, the man, constantly shifting into a seat made for the God who made me. Constantly desiring to be Him. Jesus doesn't desire to be a guest, my friends. He desires to be the Lord. We make Him a guest when we engage in religious righteousness. Call yourself a Christian whatever, Christian lawyer, Christian doctor, I'm a Christian pastor. But we're hosting him as a guest rather than serving him as Lord. So here's the problem. Many, and when I say many, it's very easy for us to point at the Pharisees. Many of us are occupied. They had received this invitation. None of them had responded. And in order for us to really understand what Jesus is saying in this, we need to understand the play, how biblical parallelism is used. Biblical parallelism is similar statements said in one phrase that either mean the same thing or point to an opposite. So there's, there's many examples of biblical parallelism. I'm just going to share a few of them. So biblical parallelism is two or more phrases that are meant to emphasize just one big idea. So one example would be synonymous parallelism. Two different statements in one verse that basically say the same thing for emphasis. For instance, Proverbs 12. In the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. There is no difference between no death and life. It's a repeated statement said in parallel to emphasize the way of life is in the path of righteousness. 
That's one form of biblical parallelism. Another form of biblical parallelism is an antithetical or antithetic parallelism, which is two opposite thoughts or outcomes. For example, Proverbs 10, hatred stirs up strife. The opposite of hatred, love, covers all offense. Hatred leads to strife. Love covers conflict. But the kind of parallelism I want us to look at today, parallelism, excuse me, is what is called progressive parallelism. Progressive parallelism describes an incremental movement of one's mindset or actions. For example, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. So in other words, the psalmist is presenting a picture of a man walking along while somebody whispers in his ear. It catches his attention. He stops and they have a conversation. And before you know it, he's not just walking. He's not just stopping. He's sitting among the scoffers. He's one of them. An incremental shift. A movement away from God towards something else. That's progressive parallelism. Now let's look at this verse. And they all alike, all of them in the same manner, began to make excuses. The first said, I, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. I cannot come. Here's a natural progression. Parallel statements that show a shift away from God and to other things. Here, here is an incrementally progressive, increasing setting of our roots deeper in the soil of things that don't matter for eternity. He's describing people who long ago received invitations and yet have progressively been distracted in things that really, really have a short shelf life. Eugene can bring this up because he's a Singaporean parent. But I'm pretty sure that when we meet at the judgment seat, nobody's going to ask you, so um, how did you do on your A-levels? We invest so much. We are so occupied in stuff that eternally won't matter that much. And in this story, here is the progression. First, a man buys a field. That's a great day, right, when you're a landowner for the first time? That's amazing. But once you have that land, then you've got to look after it. You've got to care for it. So after owning land, he has to go out now and negotiate for cattle, for oxen, to work the land. And once he's got land and has a means to make the land support a good living, he can now afford a dowry and get himself a wife. That's progressive parallelism. An incremental moving away from the things of God. And this is why 
in previous week's messages, in the middle of their outrage over Jesus healing God's sheep on a Sabbath day, he reminded them of this progressive parallelism. You have wandered away. You're occupied by your own sheep, your own oxen, your own sons. And you're not caring for the sheep of God. I want to introduce you to a contemporary painter, Andrei Mironov. He's a young Russian painter, and there's a lot going on in this painting that we are going to revisit in a moment. But here's the last point. Because of preoccupation, their place will be taken. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly. Do you see the urgency? Go out quickly. Go out to the streets, the lanes, the city, bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. I, I was reminded as I was reading this parable of my mom calling us for dinner. When I was five, my dad moved us out of the city and into a, the countryside, which is now a city, but then it was just bush. And, and he bought an acre of, of cedar and Douglas fir, built his dream house there for $21,000. And that was actually the house my brother and I were raised in. Every yard had about one acre of bush. And if we were playing, we were actually a long way from home. And our mom didn't have a dinner bell, but she had this industrial strength soprano voice. And she would put her head out of the window in the kitchen and she would shout, boys! Which I heard long enough to be humiliated by. And I don't remember the event that caused us a sense of urgency when we heard that call. But when my brother and I heard that call, we went running. We didn't walk. We ran through the bush. And I don't know if you know this, but spiders like to make their webs, right, in a pathway. And then they sit in the middle of it. I have swallowed many spiders running home because my mom was calling, dinner's ready. Urgency. And I don't know why. Except when that call, come home, it's dinner time, comes. There is urgency. And this master calls on his servant urgently, go quickly to the streets and the lanes and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind do, 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 you, do you see the grace in this? Do, do you understand the grace in this call? The crippled cannot walk themselves there, let alone run. The lame are not able to get up from their mat to rush to the banquet. The blind can't see to find their way to the narrow door. More than that, Leviticus 21 specifically excludes the lame, the blind, the crippled, anyone with deformities from entering into the presence of God. This, friends, is grace. God reaches down. He reaches down. Jesus was actually just, you know, drawing a straight line from the day he walked into his little village synagogue, they handed him a scroll and he read from Isaiah these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why after reading this parable, this young Russian, Andrei Mironov, painted this picture. And I don't know if you can notice, but he paints Jesus as the faithful servant, crying out in the streets, while in the background men are plowing a field they have purchased, another man negotiating with another on a wife, another buying cattle in the street, and the lame and the blind have hearts turned toward the one who urgently calls. Come, there's space for you. There's space at the master's table. And this is why after reading this parable, the great theologian pastor, he's been gone for 20 years now, we don't read him enough, James Montgomery Boyce, wrote this little poem, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by Thee. That is us, friends. None of us came with religious pedigree. Excuse me. None of us had any spiritual merit that made us worthy. But the main theme of this parable, this story, is that rejection and in rejection, there is grace. Because of the rejection of the Jewish people, the nations have found a place at the table. We have found a place at the table. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has already been done. I, I wasn't going to share this, but, but I, I just need to. The day before Sherry's mom died, she was in her fourth day of quarantine in Canada. And she received a phone call. She picked up her phone and it said, Mom... And she was shocked because her mom hadn't called her in weeks and wasn't able to. She quickly picked up the phone and the person on the end said, I, I want to call you on FaceTime. I'm, I'm afraid your mom doesn't have much time left. I want you to speak to her and see her. So she called back and the, and the nurse showed Sherry her mom. Now, what, what is amazing to me is this, this, this wasn't a nurse's assistant or nurse's aide. This was the head nurse. Be, because at this point, this facility had 17 cases, 17 patient and staff who had COVID, and, and they were short staff. It was the head nurse of this hospital who called Sherry and said, I, I want you to see your mom one last time. And if you've ever stayed in the hospital, you know staff is amazing, but pillows are the worst. 
And so she had someone else hold the phone for Sherry because her mom had slid off the pillow. And she said to Sherry's mom, Carol, I'm going to hug you now. And she bent down low, wrapped her arms around her and held her, and then gently lifted her up onto the pillow. And of course, Sherry was crying and thanking her and told her mom how much she loved her and told her, I release you into the embrace of God. And after that was over, the head nurse took the phone and she was weeping. And when Sherry saw this weeping nurse, she just felt obligated to, to care for her and, say, and said to her, I'm so sorry. I, I know it's so difficult for frontliners. You see death every day. I'm so sorry. And the head nurse said to her, this is my first day back at work. I buried my 28-year-old daughter who died of an overdose a week ago. Friends, do you know this is us? Here she is, broken by life, weary of death, loving and serving another, bending down, embracing, being the embrace of a loving God. This is us. I too have been blinded by my own ambition. I too am broken by life, am weary of sin. It is us, he invites, to go out and share. Find somebody. Represent him, by, not by being a gracious host, welcome to my dinner, eat up, but by embracing. By telling the broken and blind, you may not be able to see your way to faith. You, you may not be able to find your way to God, but he sees you and he has found you. This is the God of this great banquet. And so he says to us this morning, go out. It's not about come in and gather. And I know you hear our pastor, we're anxious that, that people are forgetting how to gather. But the only purpose that we gather is so, we can, so that we can hear him saying, now go out. Bend down, reach down, embrace somebody broken by life, blinded by whatever. Tell them the Master has space for you. He has space for you. Verse 24. Now I tell you, none of those men invited shall taste my banquet. Have, have you seen what has happened? In this short conversation Jesus has had at dinner, how the conversation has dramatically shifted. At one point, Jesus has gone from encouraging the religious elite to seek a humble space at the table to now telling them, you're at risk of having no space at my table. The Pharisees, including the man in verse 15 who was joyfully anticipating the blessing of reclining at the kingdom table. They were leaning hard on the rabbinic traditions. 
that promised a heavily blank a banquet. They were all assuming that their religious pedigree had guaranteed them a place. The only question they were asking is, how close will I be to the Master? Well, where will my seat be in the seating chart? And in doing so, obsessed with their pedigree, they ignored their own prophets. This is Jerusalem, or as some call it, Mount Zion. And there was a day when the prophet Isaiah stood on top of Mount Zion, and the Lord spoke through him, saying, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for who? All peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a feast full of marrow, of aged wine and well-refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, and He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. This wedding parable fulfilled the prophecy of broken-hearted Hosea. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Friends, we have heard the Word of God today. But we haven't applied the Word of God until we, each of us, those of us who are here, those of you who are watching online, until each of us have asked this one critical question. Where do I see myself in this story? Maybe you're like me. And I will tell you honestly, if you're like me, you're a Pharisee. Because you received an invitation a long time ago, but, but honestly, you've drifted. So many things occupy your heart and mind. And, and I'll be honest with you, this week my, my heart and mind were fully occupied by an election that's not even happening in my country. I, I was distracted by investments I don't even have. It's so easy to drift into being occupied by things that don't matter to God. And so if you're like me today and you know you've received that invitation, I would urgently today return to Him and say, God, You are all that matters to me. I don't desire to be in charge of anything in my life. I'm tired of trying to micromanage what I cannot manage at all. I don't want you to be a guest in my home. I want you to be Lord. Lord of my life my heart and my mind, my family, this nation. Or, or, or maybe you just want to be a servant. 
Maybe you want to represent the embrace of Christ. In, in fact, maybe you've been sitting here distracted because you feel like you, 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 the Lord has brought somebody to your mind and your, to your heart while you've been sitting here and you're thinking, I have got to let them know God has seen you. God notices you. He has space for you. They don't know how to get there. They can't pick themselves up. They can't see. But, but maybe you're the person that God has seasoned their life with. Maybe you could be the one to say, this, this God is for you. And I'm here to tell you there is space for you. I'm guessing there might even be someone here or, or, or maybe perhaps watching and, and, and you're just feeling blind and broken. You don't know what in the world God's up to. You, you see nothing but despair and anxiety. You, you've never had opportunity to fully trust in someone who is fully trustworthy. You, you've never given your life to a living God who spoke everything into existence by the power of His Word. T today could be the day that you find your place at the table because the invitation is here. The invitation is now. And for all of us, Pharisees like me, Servants like the Lord, crippled, blind, and lame. God waits to hear from us. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. After our service closes, there will be some reflection questions, but right now I want to invite us to just be in His presence, bow before the King of creation, the great host of that divine banquet who is in the business of inviting the blind, the lame, the broken. And if you're here this morning watching online or presently in this building and you're like your pastor, then today you just need to say, God, forgive me. I've been distracted by things that are not worthy. My heart is fully occupied. Cleanse me as you did that temple. Fill me with your presence that is purifying and powerful and purposeful. Restore the joy of my salvation. Guard my heart, O oh Lord. It's prone to wander. And then know His gracious, loving forgiveness. Maybe you're here and you just want to serve Him by offering an invitation. A very low-grade style of evangelism is, is saying to a friend, hey, no, no pressure. You don't, you don't have to register to to come to the church and you don't have to endure the awkwardness of meeting our pastoral team, you can just go online to this link. Is there someone in your world that you just need to send the YouTube link to?
to just say, if you, if you want to, you can watch. Nobody, nobody will know if you ditch the link halfway through. Just here it is. I want you to know God has seen you. Or, or perhaps you are just blind and lame and broken and don't know how to get up. One word. Mercy. Cry mercy. Let the God of mercy hear you in your heart. Lord mercy, forgive me. I'm broken by my bad choices. I'm blinded by the philosophies of the culture that raised me. I, I need you to have mercy. Notice me and call my name. Make me your child. And I will turn away from my brokenness and blindness and turn to you. Shed light in my life. Fill me with your spirit that I might know that I will be numbered among the nations who celebrate your goodness and bless your name. Father God, we are so grateful that you are seeking and when we seek, we find you who are, is seeking us. Help us to call on you now because you are near. Help us to move urgently toward Christ. Feel his strengthening embrace. Cleanse us, O oh God, that the nations might know that we follow you. Thank you that you are a God of mercy. We bless you that even now, you can hear and respond to the many voices crying out in this room, all over this island, and wherever someone might be tuning in. They have been found by you. We bless you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.